Happy Thanksgiving, Canada. I'm Shalacia Harris, your host of Buzzworthy and chair of Hamilton Hive. Today, we are deviating from our typical format of telling entrepreneurial stories to bring an important conversation about the future of our city for young people. On October 24th, the city of Hamilton will be voting in a new mayor, ward candidates for 15 wards, and school board trustees. At our event Reconnect Hamilton on September 30th, we invited the top three mayoral candidates to take part in a discussion on important issues impacting young people in the city. Two of the top three candidates accepted our invite and we were absolutely elated and excited to have them. However, Bob Bertina tested positive for COVID the week of our event, which left us with one candidate, Keenan Loomis, who ultimately had a one-on-one conversation with our amazing moderator and independent journalist, Joey Coleman. For additional interviews and more insights on many of the candidates across the city of Hamilton, you can check out Joey's podcast, The Public Record, to get more in-depth information and one-on-one interviews about each candidate. With further ado, I'll turn it over to the recordings from our live event, which takes you into the insights and the tough questions Joey asked Keenan. And you can listen, you can make your decision, and we would also like to thank our audience for taking part and asking further tough questions during this session. For any additional information you might need on the candidates and who is running, you can always check the City of Hamilton's website for the most updated information. Thank you, everyone, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. I'll bring on our host for tonight, who is going to be our moderator of our panel, Joey Coleman. So, Joey, you want to join me up here? Amazing. Thank you, Joey. So Joey and I got acquainted while we were planning this event, and specifically I was looking for an independent journalist who can come to this event and ask really tough questions and be as unbiased as possible. And with that, Joey gladly um, joined us here. So thank you so much, Joey. Um, And thank you for all the recommendations that pointed directly to Joey. So I did ask a lot of folks, and his name came up, and the research checked out, um, and it feels great. (laughs) I I passed the background check. That's good. Amazing, amazing. We we try to do background checks. Sometimes we falter, but, you know, Joey helps us figure it out. Um, Okay, and then today, the... the The panel, um, our goal for the panel was to bring our top candidates to you. Um, And that's basically just done by polling and and different situations. And so we did invite all of our candidates, um, just so you understand our process of selection and how how we came to be um, with our one panelist today. Um, Our top two, two of the top two candidates did accept. Unfortunately, Bob, was tested positive with COVID this week. Um, so unfortunately, we are not, he is not able to be here with us. Um, but Bob was really excited to join us and have a really great conversation about the, the issues and challenges that impact 
youth and young people in Hamilton, which is super important, especially because Hamilton demographically is now swing into a younger demographic. So there are more young people here in Hamilton than seniors. So if our city hall doesn't represent that, then they're not here for the future, they're here for the past. Um, and so that leaves us with our final candidate who is actually here with us today, um, and that's Keenan Loomis. So Keenan, thank you for being here with us. Awesome. So, Joey? Yeah. I'll hand it over to Kenan for your first intro, opening remarks, and Joey will take it away with all the rules we don't have to follow anymore. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. Because uh, I'm definitely known for, you know, following the rules and, you know, following the traditional right. course. Uh, firstly, I want to thank, there's many candidates in the room, and, you know, uh, democracy requires us to be involved. It is not easy. Uh, it is, running is very personal. You are putting your name on the ballot and it definitely feels like a bit of a referendum upon yourselves. And I remember in 2000, I ran for school board trustee. And some of you may have had this feeling of, you know, uh, so the backstory, I showed up when I turned 18, tried to register, we were at amalgamation they had not yet determined the ward boundaries, the transition board. The, the clerk's office did not have any of the forms for running for trustee. Um, I was in foster care at the time I was living on my own. I didn't realize that a trustee had to pay up the $100 fee, so I wouldn't have been able to register that day anyway. I had to wait till my next paycheck. But I remember arguing with Kevin Christensen about, you know, I want to register. This is important to me. Him explaining that he didn't have the forms, that he would get the forms done the next week. And eventually, Bob Bertina, because the clerks were beside the mayor's office at the time, Bob Bertina came out and talked me down of my stubbornness. <laughs> and I'm uh, sorry, not Bob Bertina, I mean Bob Morrow. Jeez, I'm confusing my... I was going to say... I'm that, confusing my Bobs. That didn't really seem right. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry about that. Um, confusing my Bobs. See, we, we make mistakes very publicly, and people will be on the podcast for that. But I remember that... In about uh, September, just before the registration deadline, another candidate put forth their name who was going to be well-funded, well-supported. And at that moment, I realized, okay, I am not going to win this time, but I'm learning, and I'm meeting voters, and I'm getting the chance to advance issues and to discuss issues as an 18-year-old that may not have otherwise been in the democratic discourse. And on election night, I placed third of third, third of three. Um, but I was able to walk away from it having spent $500 and getting 23% of the vote and having made positive connections that enabled me to move forward in my life. And what I'm saying to you as candidates is, is that A, democracy needs you because of course, uh, without democracy, we don't end up with debate. With, or sorry, without candidates, we don't end up with debate. But also that you're doing a valuable service and please, when election night comes around, walk away with those positives and also remain involved. So turning to uh, Keenan, you are one of our three front runners for mayor. And it's a, when I say front runners, running for mayor, like all things, requires organization. It requires a capacity funds. And thus, in a democracy, that makes a huge part of it. 
Uh, so I want to firstly thank you for coming tonight. I want to also note for those that are listening to the podcast, I want to thank Bob Pertina for doing the proper thing in terms of COVID protocols. And I'd like you to introduce yourself and tell us why you're running for mayor and specifically where you think the role of mayor as it relates to youth issues stands. Okay, well, uh, first of all, thank you for having me and thank you to Hamilton Hive for hosting this. I have been a huge fan of Hamilton Hive since its very inception. Um, I, it was really important to me actually as a newcomer in Hamilton, uh, so this was in 2009. Hive was started somewhere 2010, 2011-ish. Um, and uh, there were a number of, of young professional networking groups that had sprouted up um, because the numbers had warranted it. Uh, you know, there was one uh, associated with the AGH. Um, there was one, there, uh, ooh, I, I, I'm trying to go back now. Um, there, there were probably 10 or so. Um, and uh, it was really important to me as a newcomer to the city to find a, a way in which I could, I could network, I, I, could, I, I could meet people and, and really understand where the opportunities were in this community because you know, I was looking for gainful employment. I, I was looking for uh, uh, my path here in Hamilton and so the Young Professionals Networks were it for me, and, um, you know, and here I am now. Um, I uh, was also very, uh, um, so the Hive came out of the, the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce as kind of an umbrella group for all of these various uh, young professional groups that had uh, sprouted up. And um, so uh, I, when I took over the, the Chamber of Commerce, Hive was one of those things that was there, and. Um, and was n now under you know my uh, my uh, purview, and uh, Alyssa was uh, the the chair at that time, and we talked about how do we get now Hive out um, and on its own so that uh, it could be an independent organization. And so I worked with Alyssa, and we we got it there, and um, and again here we are. So um, I, when uh, Shalicia uh, reached out. Uh, I think it was in it was in May or something like that. I, I was like, absolutely. There, you know, I don't know what's going on that day, um, but I will absolutely be there. And um, so it turns out that Festitalia, there's a, a Festitalia event tonight that I just left at Leuna Station. I I, I wolfed down the antipasto <laughs> um, uh, plate and uh, and came over here because it was so important to be here. Um, but I also want to recognize, of course, that uh, it is uh, National Day for uh, Truth and Reconciliation. I was at Gage Park today um, with uh, the local uh, indigenous community. Um, it was an incredible uh, opportunity to continue to learn. I have done a lot of learning as a, you know, as a leader in this community. That, you know, first, when, um, when the calls to action came out uh, through tr Truth and Reconciliation, uh, and I was the CEO of the Chamber of Commerce, you know, I, I looked at those and said, what are the ones that, I, that you know, definitely uh, pertain to me at this moment? Um, and then, obviously, once I became a candidate for mayor, it was like all of them now, um, uh, all of them now, uh, you know, pertain to me. And so I, I really have to truly understand what it is that I can do as a leader. And, and, and to do that, I needed to um, gain uh, and, and, and have greater and, and more uh, deep relationships with the local indigenous community. And so that has been actually one of the most rewarding uh, uh, parts of this whole uh, path that I have been on. 
and it's been absolutely incredible and it culminated today with you know being able to uh, see a lot of friends that were there and and uh, and and uh, have more uh, make more um, you know friends and and really truly understand we ha there was a um, a survivor uh, of the residential school who was there to to speak at the Vanshell at Gage Park and those stories are just heart-wrenching and but when you hear them you truly understand the impacts of of the residential school system on um, our indigenous uh, population here in Canada and you truly understand the trauma and you understand why things are the way they are now and you get a much better understanding as well of what we need to do to bridge that gap and to make sure that we through reconciliation ultimately um, you know uh, I guess uh, I don't know what the end goal is. I, I guess it is to create uh, harmonious, uh, um, you know, relationships between our two, um, our our two uh, uh, nations. Um, but uh, anyway, we're we're on that path. I'm on that path, and today was an important day. So I wanted to make sure that uh, I recognize that. So your question was, why did I run for mayor? Um, so I had been the CEO of the Chamber of Commerce for almost 10 years. And uh, that was fun. That was actually, I always say, and I, I truly meant it, it was the best job in the world um, because it was the best job in this community, which is the best community in this country, which is the best country in the world. So, um, and, uh, you know, and certainly, a lot, why would anybody leave the best job in the world? Um, but, but it was, there was only so much that I could do in that role. And um, it was really important for me to step up and be the type of uh, change that we need to see in this community. Um, in that role uh, for that long, I truly got a good understanding of where, where the issues were that needed to be addressed and, and how they weren't being addressed by our current leadership. And so I, I got to the point where I just, I, it, in, a lot of it was uh, incidents that had happened over the last term that is about to wrap up. Uh, starting with, uh, with Pride of 2019, and what a fiasco that was in terms of response from the mayor's office in particular. Um, and then shortly after that was Sewergate, and it was really when, um, when I, I woke up that morning, opened up the paper, in, or actually it was top, uh, front, um, top of fold, uh, on uh, front page news about Sewergate, and I was absolutely disgusted. And I, I think that people are still motivated by that. I, th I think that people still remember the, that moment that they, they read that story and, um, and the response to that and, um, and all the stuff that came out and all the defensiveness that came out as well. I mean, that to me was, was one of the, the, the things that made me most livid. And I decided at that moment that if things are looking good in a couple of years, um, I'm going to I'm going to run. I'm going to have to step up and and fill this this vacuum um, of of leadership that exists in this community. And so uh, everything well, and then COVID happened, um, and it was really important to help the business community and, and the community at large get through the the pandemic. But now that the pandemic is waning, it just felt like the right time to do that. Um, and then your other question was about uh, uh, youth. Um, well. I, the youth really are the future of our community, and so to me, if we're not accommodating uh, youth and, 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 and empowering youth and, um, and attracting them here, keeping the talent that we have here here if they want to stay here, 
um, attracting new talent from outside of this community, then we as a community are dying. If you're not growing, you're dying. And so to me, it is about making sure that um, uh, young people here feel empowered and that they have the right um, and, and good uh, professional opportunities, that they're able to afford uh, a, a home here as well. And um, you know, a lot of this comes from me being a parent of three children. I have a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a four-year-old. And when you become a parent, um, you start to, first of all, it, it's like the, 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 the poem is that, you know, having a child is like having your heart now outside of yourself. And that's, that's truly the case. And so I have three hearts now outside of myself. And so I, I care most about, about how their city works for them, how they interact with their city, um, and what, their, what potential or, or what opportunities they're going to have in their city. And so to me, it's, um, you know, I don't have to look much further than, you know, the, 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 the people that I have in my home. And, um, and, and ultimately, I, I always keep joking. So, you know, we, we announced a plan to build 50,000 homes over the next 10 years here in Hamilton. And I'm like, three of those belong to my children because they are not going to be living with me indefinitely. And which means as well that they're going to have to have great jobs. Um, and, and also, I think about you know the Hamilton of, of 2050, which is the, the province is forcing us to you know plan for that Hamilton of 2050. So that's why I choose that date. Um, and so, what does what is Hamilton in 2050 going to look like when they're in their 20s and 30s? How are they going to live? Where are they going to live? How are they going to? Um, what kind of opportunities are they going to have? And how are they going to interact with and move about their city? So that to me is is where I'm different than um, other. Uh, politicians, I look beyond the next election cycle and the next election cycle after that, and that's what a true leader does, and that's what this city needs, is somebody who's looking at 2050 and the decisions that we need to make right now to get us there. So I think that's a long enough monologue to start off, and I'll yield to your questions. So let's do the first question then, which is, Hamilton is the nearest major urban center to the Six Nations and Mississaugas of the New Credit. How do you view relationships with these communities as a candidate for mayor here in Hamilton? So that is an excellent question. Um, there's a number of layers to this, uh, as I am uh, discovering, again, in, in my journey. First of all, um, to know that there are 15,000 urban indigenous uh, people in this community. So you know, we can talk about our neighbors and, and what we owe our neighbors and what type of relationship we need to have with our, our neighbors, but we also have to acknowledge that we have a significant population uh, here in Hamilton of, of, of uh, indigenous folks from all across Turtle Island. It's, it's not just folks who, you know, have migrated from, from Six Nations. Um, so what do, we, what do we owe them and, and what are our obligations vis-a-vis uh, -vis them? And um, thankfully, we, the city has just undertaken a urban indigenous strategy uh, review, and there's a document that outlines this. It is a process that the city went through with our uh, uh, urban indigenous re residents here in Hamilton. And there's about 40 things that are in that document of things that we, 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 must, we must commit to doing, and, and I have as a mayoral candidate. Um, so that's number one. The, the other thing is to know that um, 
you know, what the situation and what the politics are um, on Six Nations, and I'm learning more and more as I go through this. Um, understanding the difference between the hereditary chiefs and the elected council, um, and the fact that, you know, they don't necessarily see eye to eye. Um, the fact that, you know, you have uh, also the Mississaugas of the Credit that are, um, uh, you know, uh, I guess um, within Six Nations or, or, or have, you know, carved out a, a, a piece of Six Nations for, um, for their home. And so they, you know, one, uh, so Six Nations is one body, but Mississaugas of the Credit, they're the ones that we owe treaty uh, um, obligations to, uh, and not necessarily so with uh, Six Nations. So I'm still learning this. I'm still trying to figure it out. I mean, first of all, I, what I want to do is, is ensure that we have uh, great relationships with our neighbors like we would um, with Burlington, like we would with Niagara, um, you know, in that, you know, there's uh, seamlessness between our communities. There, there must be. Um, I think we owe, uh, we have extra obligations to our uh, neighbors on, uh, our indigenous neighbors um, because of the truth and reconciliation process and, and uh, everything uh, under that. Um, so, you know, it, it really does start with relationships. It starts with um, coming to them um, with an open mind, a full heart, saying, what is it that you do expect from your neighbors in Hamilton as well? Listen, learn together, grow together, uh, build uh, uh, enduring ties together, and um, there's uh, a lot to learn uh, through that process and, and a lot to, to get down to. Economic ties, we can, we can talk about all kinds of economic, societal, civic, you know, that sort of thing, um, and uh, we just need to start with you know, building trust between us for sure. So the city of Hamilton does have a demographic challenge as measured by StatsCam, which is permanent population. That won't include the student population, which is not considered permanent. Their student residents are not their permanent home. Our measured population is significantly older than average for a Canadian municipality. A vibrant city needs balance between its age demographics. So attracting and retaining youth is, an important, is important to the future of our community. Every community it is. So we're going to have a few questions on this topic. We're going to start with rental quality and cost in Hamilton is a crisis. Hamilton is increasingly unaffordable. Young people are increasingly being forced to live in deplorable housing to study in Hamilton. Well, this is not the fault of the municipality. Like so many problems, it ends up falling to the municipality to, tr to respond. So what do you see the role for the mayor in responding, and how will you implement a response during the next four-year council term? Yeah, so first and foremost, um, and this, this doesn't directly deal with, with student housing or, or, or student rental housing. But as I mentioned, we announced a plan to build 50,000 new homes in Hamilton over the next 10 years. Um, it's, it, it's homes of all types. It's uh, you know, uh, single family, um, it's duplex, triplex, it's in-law suites, it is uh, greenfield uh, within the current urban boundary, it's uh, infill, it is um, rental, owned, um, affordable, uh, in some cases shelter, in some cases long-term care. Um, if you add up all of the things that we need to do and all of the demographics that we need to address, um, we need to, uh, that's where you get to, you know, the 50,000 over the next 10 years. So part of that is, is rental, part of that is, you know, uh, rental downtown, um, which, you know, or, or along the transit route in particular, along LRT in particular, uh, which will, if we, you know, build more rental, um, purpose-built rental 
uh, a long LRT, we can assume that that will open up the market for students of McMaster. Um, there's, I, I think you, you might also be talking about, wanting to touch upon licensing um, of, uh, of rental units. I haven't quite figured that one out myself in terms of like what's the right thing to do. Um, you, you mentioned that there are some deplorable conditions uh, for students, um, and not just for students, but also for uh, lower income uh, uh, folks as well. And you know some of the like you you have the case where some people are still paying six seven hundred dollars a month uh, of rent in some uh, in some uh, units that are probably not up to code you know so to to make those buildings to make those homes or whatever up to code to be able to uh, get a license for a rental unit what are what are the expenditures that are, uh, a landlord needs to make to do that and then what's the, the rent that that landlord then has to pay. Um, so I'm still trying to figure out whether, you know, what the right um, move is on licensing. Um, but I think supply is, is probably the easiest answer for me to, to provide you. And, um, and especially, like we're seeing this actually, allowing, not allowing, but um, facilitating McMaster in their expansion, in their um, provision of, uh, of rental housing. Um, so we know about the, the homes along Forsyth that are, you know, right now, um, they haven't yet been uh, demolished. Uh, unfortunately, somebody uh, passed away there a couple of uh, days ago. Um, you know, what are, what are, the, what are the, um, the barriers that the city, because we, we hear this for all uh, project developers, so McMaster would be no different than any other private sector developer, what are the barriers that they're facing because the city hall is, is dragging their feet on, on you know, on permitting and demolition permitting in this particular case and all of that. So how can we speed up that so that there's more rental housing here in Hamilton? And I think you know, it would be much easier to be able to say, allow McMaster to do more of what they're doing at Bay Street and, um, and King Street here. So that, uh, and that's gonna be, a, I think, a primarily a graduate um, uh, facility, which will be great because that means that there will be a certain number of you know, rentals that are freed up now for undergraduates. Um, but allow them to continue to do that so that they're meeting the, the, the needs of their, uh, their population that, uh, that goes to school at Mac. Time for a short ad break. Do you like coffee but hate when it gets to the end of your bag? Of course you do. Well, I have a solution for you. It's Kahawa. The Kahawa team wants you to live your best life and stay caffeinated with affordable specialty coffees from East Africa. It gets even better. With their 500 gram bag, you get 10 more cups of coffee than those traditional bags. Kahawa is your place to explore all the wonderful taste notes of coffee for only $20 a bag. You can't go wrong. Your Kahawa coffee is roasted locally in Hamilton when you order and delivered fresh to your door. Use code HIVE10, that's H-I-V-E 10, for a 10% discount off of your first order. So Hamilton City Council is hostile, period. Uh, but youth have really been bearing the brunt of that hostility. You and I, you've been in those meetings at LRT where you definitely saw the tone that was taken towards a few youth that delegated. And, uh, you know, but it's not just that, it's also in their actions. 
um, as we may recall in 2017 when they were gerrymandering their ward boundaries, they decided that students didn't matter, that they would split the student population and put 10,000 of them into Dundas so that the ward three, or sorry, ward 13 boundary would remain the same. Completely dismissing the student population, there was the 2017 transit crisis. You know, uh, I remember in 2010, I wrote what, what has become a pretty common column when I was on contract with the Globe and Mail, I actually wrote, I said, you know, it's not that politicians are anti-student, it's that they're pro-vote, and that's an important distinction, um, which is not to excuse the behavior, but that's what I noticed when we were dealing in university districts. Uh, you know, when I remember the 2017 transit crisis, so council cut the HSR, suddenly the HSR was, they were denying it, but 20% of the buses weren't going on the road each day. Uh, for City Hall trivia, I filed an FOI for the bus logs, and the city said that it wasn't actually tracking which buses were going out each day, and that it would cost $7,000 for them to figure it out, which, you know, but I wrote at that time that, you know, the city cut bus service to the university, and I wrote the difference between a university bus with 100 students and a York bus with three people is that the York bus had three more voters than the university bus. So I want to ask, you know, as mayor, regardless of youth voter turnout, whatever it may be, how will you ensure that young people can engage with City Hall and that their interests are fairly considered by your office, city council, and the city's bureaucracy? So um, I, I, I think that what, what I want students here and young people here is to not necessarily be engaged i would love it if they were engaged with city hall like that but it would be naive to think that every kid at the age of 20 let's just go there um really cares about what's happening in city hall especially if they're not even from this that community right that they are just interlopers in right not not permanent residents um and but what i want from them I, sure, I would love them to vote. Please vote. Everybody should vote. If you have an opportunity to vote, you must vote. Whether you be, you know, whether you vote in the in Hamilton, if you're not from here, or you decide to vote, I'm going to vote, you know, in where my home is because that's what impacts me, or that's where I feel um, most connected to. So that's absolutely the case. What I care most is 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 making sure that the 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 kids who are coming here from out of town. Um, whether it be at Mac, Mohawk, or, or Redeemer, I want them to have a, a great impression of, of Hamilton. I want them to, to love having lived here or love being here, you know, be able to get outside of the bubble, you know, that is the Mac bubble, um, you know, and not just necessarily uh, Hess Village, um, I don't, although I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. Is Hess Village a thing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but um, but to, to, to come downtown, to you know, uh, spend money in the in in the the, the bars and the restaurants. To uh, come to Supercrawl, to go to you know Truth and Reconciliation Day at Gage Park, and 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 to to feel like they they know that they can get on the bus or ultimately the LRT, um, and it's and it's going to be reliable. It's going to take them there. That's what I care, and I think that if they if they have that sort of interaction with and and that they they develop an affinity to Hamilton, then they're going to vote here, right? Like so, let's not put the cart before the horse. Let's let's make sure that they have a positive impression 
of Hamilton, that they actually feel um, some, sort of, uh, some sort of desire and need to vote because they know that their voice is, is going to matter. Um, that to me, I think, would, would be the ideal. Um, when it comes to the dismissive attitudes at City Hall, um, that you don't have to just be a youth uh, to, f to feel that. I have, I continue to feel that. And in my 10th year as, you know, as the CEO of the Chamber of Commerce, there were many who were absolutely amazing. Uh, one of them is, is here tonight, um, and, uh, and she's awesome. And, um, but uh, there, are, there are many that do not appreciate any newcomers uh, coming here and in talking about anything different than what we've done in the past. And, and that's always been uh, super frustrating to me. And so whether it be, um, you know, and, and I'll, I'll, we'll talk about, let's talk about LRT advocacy because you brought that up. Um, when we were doing that, uh, it was uh, me as the leader of the chamber. It was uh, Leuna, it was other, uh, the, so the Transit Union, um, Transit Riders Association. It was um, Environment Hamilton. It was the McMaster Students Union, the Mohawk, uh, the MSU, MSA. Um, there were, uh, there was a, it was a broad coalition of groups that came together and said that we must do this. We must take advantage of this opportunity because if we don't, you know, like, it, it, like Hamilton will not change. And all of us were dismissed by a... Um, a good portion of council, and it really came down to the fact that the the message sunk in to enough councilors. We got enough votes. It, 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 we made it. We turned up the heat enough that they realized that it was it was too difficult for them. It was it was um, it, it was against their interest to to dismiss, to turn this down, ultimately to, to not um, uh, allow the project to go forward. And that's, that's what it was. It was, we flipped it to the point where um, we, they felt uncomfortable turning down this project. It was a, it, at that point, a billion dollars. Um, it was an LRT project that was going to unlock development. Um, and there was this broad coalition of people that, um, and, and broad enough to, that it was a, it was a force that where it caused them um, electoral consternation, let's say that. Um, and so, th it, that, but we were all individually dismissed um, by certain people who thought that, well, this is too crazy or, you know, or it's too hard or, or it's too expensive or, or what have you. So, um, thankfully, I think those conditions are uh, now um, going to change dramatically this year. We are going to have at least seven new counselors. Um, some of whom are sitting here uh, tonight. And I think that we have an incredible opportunity to really set the tone differently and to, um, and to make sure that everybody here and everybody out there um, across the entire city knows that they can come into City Hall and voice their opinion. And they will be welcomed as if they delegate, um, regardless of the issue, because they should be appreciated for being engaged citizens. And that's that's how we need to treat people, regardless of what demographic they come from. So I'm going to bring us into a bit of a specific situation here. And yes, it's a hypothetical, but it is useful for exploring how you would govern as mayor. Okay. I'm going to turn back to our ward boundaries, which 
will need to be reviewed at some point, and people can argue if it needs to be done now or not. We just came out of a census. Um, and I want to go back to the War Boundary Review because I think it's a fascinating moment in Hamilton's history in that it shows how City Hall both was dismissive of young people with the split that ultimately cost them because it failed the Carter formula, it failed formulas that had been set up by the Ontario Municipal Board. The day after they made the switch, I wrote my column, which I said, this is fatal. They think that they've pulled off a smart way to keep their gerrymander. Citing the Kingston case, I said, there's no way this stands. And the McMaster Student Union did a phenomenal job of presenting how this would disenfranchise youth voters. But also, we had a PhD student who was unaware that the war boundaries were going on because it never reached her, but she had been doing research on minority voter dilution, which is the phenomenon that has a result of overweighing suburbs and lower density, wider size ridings. And this occurs both provincially, federally, it's not unique to Hamilton, that we end up in dense communities, which tend to have minority voters compared to more affluent white suburbs. And it turned out that Hamilton had the worst voter dilution of any major municipality in Canada. It wasn't even on City Hall's radar. And I will openly admit that prior to reading her academic paper that I happened to come across in May of 2017, I hadn't even thought of that as an issue. So turning to, let's say we're doing a ward boundary review. And as mayor, you help set the parameters of that review. What does, and this is a process question, so we use ward boundary review as the example, but this could be almost any other review that the city's doing. We're using the hypothetical to make it more real and to be able to focus your answer. How do you do that type of process to make sure that both youth and minority interests are heard and considered in the process? Well, we are getting into a very esoteric issue, as only Joey Coleman can do. Um, ward boundary re review. Um, so one of the other one of the things that you didn't mention, Joey, um, that I think is also important to this is is we hired a consultant uh, to actually study this and to provide advice to council about how the boundaries should be divvied up, um, and and we decided not to follow the advice of, of, that, of that consultant. Um, and I, the, the consultant, um, you know, the, I mean, it wasn't radical changes. Um, you know, it was just like, you know, here you maybe should go over this, uh, the boundary should go over to this street or, you know, whatever. Um, it, it didn't really even look into, I, I don't believe, um, you know, demographics uh, like, like that. Um, and in defense of the consultant, noting myself, my ignorance, prior to this PhD student's paper, there was no academic literature on minority voter dilution in wards and municipalities. Right. I just want to quickly say yeah. that that was new to many of us. Yeah, yeah. I, so, 
like I said, this is a, a, a very, very um, uh, process-oriented and a very inside baseball <laughs> sort of issue. Um, but I, I think that when you do hire a consultant, like you should ultimately follow through on their recommendations. Um, that's that's a big thing, and and you know there, it wasn't just uh, demo, certain demographics that felt diluted, or you know the the, the student uh, you know the the student neighborhoods. It was Corktown as well, or no Stinson. It was Stinson that um, was basically cut in half, and so on one side it was Ward Three, on the other side it was in Ward Two, and so Stinson as a voice, and you know uh, the the downtown has a lot of. Uh, uh, basically, every neighborhood has a neighborhood association, and so um, you know it, it can be uh, as insidious as, as that, like just basically um, dividing a, uh, an, a community as well. Um, you know that's a that's a case in which we have to listen to experts. I would be really interested in, in talking to your friend about that and what it is like through that process, what it is that we should be mindful of because you know I wouldn't have um, necessarily thought about that because you know we don't. In, in Canada, we don't have the same sort of ghettoization as uh, exists in the U.S. It's a, it's a lot easier, I think, to to really like there when you're you know that in the U.S. you know on one side of the tracks it's this, on one side of the tracks it's that, um, and so you would um, it, it's a lot clearer here in Hamilton. I'd be really interested in seeing the distribution of you know various uh, uh, demographics and minority groups and all that, and and then how you know the the placing of lines um, impacts that uh, so you know you brought up a completely new issue for me tonight um, but you know generally I, I think first of all first principle if you're hiring a, a, an outside consultant follow that consultants advice and then but through the process say these are important things that you need to be thinking of and how would you know that unless you were, you were inviting people to delegate, to, to come into the process and say, hey, this is an issue that you need to be thinking about. And then, you know, you have your aha moment. And okay, well, that's, that's really interesting that you bring that up. Let's make sure that we're incorporating that into the process. Um, so let's turn to on a similar theme. Uh, you know, there's the odd blindness that occurs at City Hall to these issues. But then there's also the... It, the stuff that is glaring that doesn't seem to get addressed, which is Hamilton holds the dubious distinction of being the hate crime capital of Canada. We have a serious problem of organizing by white supremacists and white nationalist organizations. And to the extent that within the confines of the law and the powers of the municipality, I think one of the mistakes that many of us make is that we think the municipality has a wider toolkit than what it actually does. What are you going to do to address the hate crime problem and what are you going to do to address the disconnects which continue to exist within the institutions of the city of Hamilton? Yeah, so I do not want to be the hate crime capital of, of Hamilton. I don't think that's good for business. I don't think that's good for talent attraction and retention. Um, and obviously, as well, uh, that means certain people are being targeted and uh, everybody should be safe in our community. Um, so a couple things. First of all, uh, racists should not feel welcome or be welcome on city property, period. Uh, I think that was one of the, the biggest issues. So that was leading up to uh, Pride of 2019, which, as I said, was, was one of those moments where I decided that, um, you know, we need... Uh, 
new uh, fresh leadership and new generational leadership. Um, and so uh, leading up to that was this uh, series of, of Saturdays where Yellow Vesters, um, which uh, seems like a long time ago, we, do, are they, do Yellow Vesters exist anymore? Um, but it, in any event, they, that, now they're convoy uh, uh, supporters, I guess. Um, but um, they were setting up in front of City Hall, and they were, um, they were, they were, first of all, not prevented from being there. And I think that one of our, our policies need to change um, in a way that you know meets the the, the charter. But um, if you're promoting hate, um, you're not welcome in City Hall. You're not welcome to be employed by the city. This was a, another issue. We had a, a, a racist who should have been. Um, known to be a racist, uh, may have been known to be a racist, um, in, uh, and somehow got hired uh, through the HR process, um, that person uh, should not have been uh, allowed to uh, be a city employee for as long as he was. Um, but the, the other thing is we need to actively support uh, all of the targeted groups um, and all equity-seeking groups in this community. So that if anything flares up, um, we're there in support and saying that is absolutely not permitted. It's not welcome in the city. And I think that, um, and I, I, I will admit to a little bit of this. Um, when I first saw the yellow vesters set up in front of City Hall, I wanted to just ignore them. I wanted to not give them oxygen. Um, I saw them for the the pathetic bunch they were it, like you you and and this is you know me coming from I guess uh, a, a more privileged background or um, me understanding I um, a little bit of the the blue-collar angst um, that uh, that you know my community uh, and my family has has gone through um, in the the Rust Belt um, that uh, you know there are there were other there are other things going on with these people right so Understanding that and just saying, just ignoring them. But when you ignore, of course, they feel welcome, and then they continue, then they proliferate, and then you get to 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 an, a, a time when all of a sudden you've got a real problem that you haven't been dealing with, and now it's something that you've got to deal with. So I think that you know the lesson for me is that you nip that in the bud very quickly, and you make it you know um, you make it understood that that will not be permitted in City Hall. And that whenever uh, an incident happens, like when you know the uh, the two SLGBTQIA plus community um, felt threatened uh, at Pride, well, first of all, they should have been protected. Uh, second, the, the mayor should have been there uh, to support them, be there when this thing was happening, um, and and made a much stronger statement uh, afterwards as well in support. So we're going to go to elevator pitch mode because I want to make sure that we get some time for questions here. So. Your two top priorities for youth in the city, what are they, and what are your metrics for achieving results on them? Oh, boy. Um, okay, so define young people. What's, what age group are we talking about here? Let's are, say... Are we talking my kids, or are we talking... Okay, so let's split that into two. Let's do two of them. Let's firstly do two priorities for those that are under the age of 22. Well, I think in both cases... Transit, transportation, um, road safety, uh, you know, 
having uh, hospitable streets uh, for pedestrianization, for, for bicycling. Um, I think that in either case, those are, are really important. Um, if you do not have to have a car in this community, you are $1,000 a month richer <laughs> um, as a result. So uh, you need to be able to facilitate uh, that. For the, uh, the older demographic, I think it's jobs. I think it's opportunities. Um, not, not necessarily career jobs, but like the type of entry level type of opportunity that you get that ultimately leads to um, a, uh, a, a fulfilling career. Um, for uh, the younger demographic, I think it is um, recreational opportunities. Um, we know that uh, youth mental health is a, is a huge problem. I think one of the, the amazing um, uh, antidotes to that is to, um, is, is to be active. And so part of this is you know, walking to school instead of um, um, uh, you know, getting a, a, a ride to school. But also uh, community centers, uh, you know, rec leagues, uh, those types of opportunities um, that bring uh, you know, youth of uh, those demographics together um, and, and ultimately create community. Okay, so what metrics should we be measuring you for? Four years from now, you're back on this stage. Um, what does transit, youth employment, road safety, and recreational opportunities look like? Okay, so you're, you're holding me to uh, numbers here. I would say, um, so we have said, uh, I want to double the, the bike lane infrastructure in Hamilton in my first term. Um, we will also be in the midst of building LRT uh, by the end of my first term. Uh, so we've got to be, we, we've got to deal with that. We've got to get that built so that ultimately we get to that point where, you know, there's uh, the, the youth around. And, and then, like, it's hard to, um, well, in, in that building LRT will also completely reorient the, H, the HSR system. So um, that's kind of like in a, we're in a holding pattern when it comes to what the transit system in this community looks like because of LRT. Um, but uh, I think we could do bike lanes for sure. Um, I think uh, Vision Zero, hold, making sure that we don't have any pedestrian deaths uh, or fatalities or uh, injuries on our streets um, is important. So can, like, even, is, is Vision Zero, um, can we achieve zero? Uh, you know, does any community that is, ha is endeavoring f towards Vision Zero actually, is zero actually the goal? If it is, then let's, then let's do that. Um, when it comes to youth, uh, so we need some recreational facilities. We need to, um, I, I don't think we're, I'm going to be able to commit to building an actual uh, you know, recreational facility uh, in four years. But I know Waterdown needs one, Binbrook needs one, Winona needs one. Um, I know that they cost money. I know that in, uh, when recreational facilities are being built, there's a lot of various entities that need to come together to make that happen, whether it be the YWCA, YMCA, whether it be um, you know, the school boards, uh, the public, uh, a public library associated with them. But you know, we, need, we need to be on the path to having a, a rec center in Winona, a rec center in Flamborough, a rec center in uh, Binbrook. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, yeah, that, those would be some okay. key metrics here. So the mayor has uh, office staff. Traditionally, mayors hire a staff member who carries the title of community relations liaison, that type of role. And traditionally, that role will include youth engagement. So when you hire that person, you write their job description, you give them 
what you expect them to do, what are your three bullet points on the youth part of that portfolio? So I would want them to have uh, good relationships with, so like the MSU, MSA, um, the, uh, the school board as well, the, the school boards, Catholic and, and uh, public, um, so that, you know, when, it, when issues are happening, um, people out there know who to go to and we know who to, to go to um, uh, as well. So I think it's, it, it is about relationships across the entire community. Do not dismiss the youth. Uh, make sure that we're, we're facilitating those, uh, those um, relationships. Um, it, no, you can't require them to have children themselves, but you, know, you, you want them to have the, the perspective of uh, of the the youth in this community, so you know, like I, again, you, you you can't really write that into a job description, but I think it's important, right? It, and um, and so to to have empathy for uh, for youth in our communities, so that they're, we're not being dismissive, so that we are welcoming them in. Um, I think that's really important. Um, what else? I, third third bullet point. Third bullet point. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. So here's a good one. Um, youth advisory groups. Um, so I, this, this is in my platform. Thank you. <laughs> but to facilitate the creation of uh, youth advisory groups. Um, and and so, so that this person will oversee the youth advisory group that I am going to be creating that will allow us to be able to incorporate the, the perspectives of youth here in Hamilton. So before we go to audience questions, because this is going to be a podcast, and I know as somebody who produces a bunch of podcasts and listens to them, that unfortunately people will drop off when we say now we're going to audience questions. So I'd like your 30-second closing pitch. You're ending off that podcast. Hopefully people stay and listen to the questions. 30-second pitch to youth voters. Okay, uh, youth voters. Uh, this, the time has come here in Hamilton for uh, real generational change. It is obvious that we cannot continue to do things as we have. Um, it is obvious that electing career politicians uh, will yield more of the same. Um, and we have seen how things have been uh, going in this community. We have seen um, the need for leadership. You see uh, my competitors, and I don't think you can look at them and expect that uh, ultimately anything that has been happening will change uh, going forward. I can. I can guarantee it will, that we will have a different perspective on things. I think uh, being a, a parent um, and, and of young children really helps, but I think as well um, being a, of a uh, different generation. I would be the first Gen Xer as mayor of Hamilton, and Gen Xers have always been the bridge between you know, the boomer generation and the millennial generation. We get both. And I think it's, it's really important that, uh, that somebody come into the mayor's office that can bridge uh, those two generational gaps. Time for a short ad break. Imagine being transported to the Rwanzuri National Park with our new Uganda Kaseke, then to the Sidamo region of Ethiopia with just two bags of coffee and free shipping. How can you say no? Get the Kahawa subscription and regularly explore affordable specialty East African coffees. 
Pick and choose from a unique curated list of specialty coffees, whether you drink it light, medium, dark, or even decaf. Kahawa has it stocked for you. Sign up for the Kahawa subscription today and get your choice of two bags of coffee. One filter, one espresso, no problem. You can mix and match and switch it up from month to month. You can pause or even skip at any time. The pay-as-you-go model is perfect if you're unsure or just don't go through your coffee fast enough. Visit us at kahawa-company.com to get started. That's kahawa, K-A-H-A-W-A-company.com or grab the link in the episode description. Get started. So uh, I'm looking to the audience and I'm going to ask that, uh, I know that many of you young people are also candidates. I'm firstly gonna ask that anybody that's not a candidate that's a youth that wishes to ask a question, please put up your hand and I will bring the microphone to you. Excellent. And I love that they, the furthest person chose so that I can stretch my legs. I'm now at that age where stretching the legs is something I need to do, so. And please uh, ask your question to the candidate there on stage. Hi there, Keenan. Julian hey, here. Are you? Good to see you again. Good to see you. So you touch on, so I work in development, so I am pro-development. I do work for a construction and engineering firm, and I'm pro-development, and I'm seeing all the development going on. It's amazing. And yes, it's not affordable. What do you define as affordable? Because on my side of this, Everyone's like, we need affordable housing, but what is affordable? Right. And the second thing about that is we have to remember everything has gone up. Concrete, steel, labor. If you have a union on a job, like they get union fees and they get paid as union. And then I just want to say that something that can be affordable, like you touched upon, is definitely the permitting. Because Hamilton has been seen, some of our clients from Toronto, look at Hamilton as Gotham City. They said they wouldn't touch it with a 10-fold foot pole because they don't know what goes on in the back rooms. And I think that needs to change because we have plenty of space available for development. And everyone kind of hates on developers, but really there's lots of developers that are, have lead buildings and want to you know, do joint ventures that make it affordable. But permitting is an issue. The bureaucracy is slow. And maybe if the city wants to attract things, they have to clean up the back room and not be considered Gotham City outside of the city. Okay, so uh... <laughs> Joey, did you wash your hands? I um, did. <laughs> um, okay, yes, I'm pro development as well. I and you know I I, I think people uh, developers have a bad reputation. Um, I have n not well, maybe in some cases. I've, that's warranted, but for the most part, I don't think it is. I think developers are just trying to, I, I, have, I have nothing against profit motive, by the way. Like, that, that to me is, is um, really important to developers continuing to do things, right? Um, so, and we know, yes, things are, are getting uh, more costly. I think the, the supply, and, and this is what I'm trying to address, right? The 50,000 homes in Hamilton over the next 10 years, we know that we actually need to do that. Like, that's what the province is requiring us to do, so we gotta, we gotta actually do it. Um, and we have to uh, eliminate the barriers to doing that, the, the, the bottlenecks within, um, within the city. And I don't think that, like, I don't, I don't see necessarily, but maybe I, I will now. 
be able to see the, the backroom deals. I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily happening because if you ask the developers, they feel absolutely frustrated with how everything's happening in City Hall. So I don't think anybody feels like they're getting a good deal you know, in their interactions with City Hall. So I think that um, you know, as we build more, if we build out those 50, you know, that, that's going to bring down the, the hopefully the, the price of, of housing um, in, this, uh, in this community. Um, so I wanted to, what, what was the, the first part of your question though? It was, oh yes, yes, that's, that's what I wanted to talk about. Um, so right now, the city of Hamilton, um, and it's absolutely ludicrous uh, as far as I'm concerned, um, defines affordable as 125% of market rate. So 125% so of market rate. So right now, whatever market rate is, uh, so your average price of a one bedroom or two bedroom, and affordable is 25% above that. So that is ridiculous, right? Um, so we need to absolutely modernize the definition of what affordable is. And it needs to be somewhere below market rate, whether it be, you know, 25% below or like, or 75% of, of uh, market rate or what have you. Um, I'm not quite sure what the, what the number is, but um, that, that definitely needs to change because that doesn't make sense to me at all. Um, and so I think if, if you do that and now you're starting to build affordable housing and this is now, you know, the, the end goal in terms of what we need to achieve, um, it might make some things uh, not feasible anymore economically. But I think the important point um, when it comes to affordable housing in particular, we have a lot of really good affordable housing providers here. They themselves are developers. Um, they're the uh, not profit motiv uh, motivated developers. Um, they're more of the you know, not-for-profits. They need some breaks from the city you know, here and there. Uh, they need to be partnering with other uh, uh, you know, um, entities to be able to make it work. But we need to, we need to empower them because they have right now almost 3,000 units in the, in the pipeline. And um, they're having issues with the city at this point in time. Um, and so all of these projects are on hold until they can actually get um, uh, the the city to to do what it is they need to do to go forward. So, there's uh, yes, there's a lot of issues there, but we got to change the definition of what affordable housing is here in the city. Hello, I'm Cadence. Hello. Um, <laughs> so uh, I love that your platform. It seems to be very inclusive. That's a big focus. Which I'm a youth. I care about that. <laughs> um, but I wanted to uh, bring up. Women. I work with a lot of women, and they've been strongly affected by COVID in that um, generally women are paid less or work in jobs that pay less, and so they've been expected to stay at home, and now they're going back into the workforce having, ha having after kind of like put their careers on hold and sometimes not being able to get back into them. So I was wondering if there's anything the municipality can do to support women in Hamilton. Yes. I, I work with a lot of women too. I surround myself with a lot of uh, really amazing women. And um, the, uh, so at the chamber, we, we did a report with the provincial government um, and a lot of the, the workforce uh, and, and labor market uh, folks here in this community to study uh, the, the impacts of COVID on, the, um, on women in, in uh, the workplace. And you know Hamilton was no different than any other community, um, but the great part, thing about this study was that it was Hamilton women 
um, and their voices in the report. And, um, and so that was really important to us. It was, it was one of the best works uh, that we did uh, at the chamber. Um, and a lot of it was, was understanding that you know, women, um, the, the industries that were most impacted were, were women dominated. Um, like nursing, like teaching, like uh, childcare, like um, retail uh, as well. And, uh, you know, but you had construction, you know, going, basically construction took, took like, a, I think a two-week pause <laughs> during COVID, and then it was back on because we realized we cannot stop uh, construction. Um, and which was, so this was a different pandemic or a different um, economic slowdown or, or economic um, uh, turn um, than previous ones, because previous ones had impacted men uh, more disproportionately, right? So now when, you're, when, when the economy is slowing down, um, normally, you know, now these building projects aren't going forward, and so men are falling out of the, the workforce. So we, um, what we found was that um, it was really important to make sure that we had um, uh, more childcare spaces in this community and that we, we were major advocates for, you know, ultimately the deal that got done between the provincial government and the federal government uh, to create more um, childcare spaces in this province, um, more affordable uh, childcare spaces. And so there, there is a role for the city to play there because the city is a big provider of childcare in this community. Um, so that, I know that the province was really slow in adopting this and now it's on us to do so, but you know, one of the, the things I, um, I've also come to understand is that um, that, that, uh, that segment of City Hall that works on childcare um, here in this community is one of the best in the entire uh, country. Um, and so I know that we have the right leadership when it comes to that particular um, uh, matter. Uh, also, it's about we need to support uh, female entrepreneurs, um, you know, uh, certainly intersectionally, um, that, you know, um, in, in this community, what more can we do uh, as, you know, in the city has a, um, a, 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 business, um, a business center that serves the community, that serves entrepreneurs, and we need to really focus on intersectional, uh, you know, female-dominated um, entrepreneurship. How do we support them? How do we work with the Chamber of Commerce and other not-for-profits to, to really build that, um, that system of supports for, uh, for female entrepreneurs here in this community. And there's probably all kinds of other things that we can be doing. I'm open to all of those ideas and uh, really want to make sure that we focus on that. So thank you very much for coming out and sharing your platform today. I, as a young person myself, I found your insights were incredibly helpful and helped to really engage. Uh, the question I have for you is, uh, you mentioned you're the, you were the CEO of the Chamber of Commerce for the last 10 years. Um, so as a young person, uh, what are your thoughts and how are you going to help support innovation specifically within the business ecosystem and help support young entrepreneurs coming out of the Hamilton, the McMaster, the Mohawk Belt and uh, trying to build interesting things for our community and for the greater economy? And what are your thoughts on that and how do you plan to support that? I am all for that. I have been doing that from, uh, from day one uh, here in Hamilton. My first job was at McMaster Innovation Park. I was employee number one at Innovation Factory, uh, which is all about supporting uh, entrepreneurs who are developing their own intellectual property. And so it's a, it, 
different, right, than supporting other entrepreneurs, uh, supporting, you know, uh, entrepreneurs who want to create a restaurant or, or retail or what have you, much different than supporting an entrepreneur who's developing their own intellectual property. Um, so basically, I support anything that helps McMaster Innovation Park flourish. Um, and one of the amazing uh, things that is happening in this community is how uh, McMaster Innovation Park is now under new leadership, um, true visionary leadership. They're doing incredible things. They need, uh, you know, help from the province or from the city. On, you know, help from the province too, but uh, help from the city on a number of different fronts. And basically, I will, um, I will give them everything they need because it's not like that. That's not a for-profit, right? Um, McMaster Innovation Park is a, uh, a not-for-profit uh, entity that is, um, uh, you know, it needs to be supported because it then creates the for-profit companies uh, that come out of, of Hamilton. So help them build out uh, their plans and their vision for sure, um, and and do everything we can to do that. And, and you know, go go with them to the provincial government, to the federal government when they have those types of funding requests, or the private sector as well. There's a they have um, some massive plans that require massive investments, and will require you know a, a full um, full funding from you know all uh, all entities. Uh, other there's other amazing opportunities that we have in this community. Um, Life sciences will exist primarily at McMaster Innovation Park, but we know that you know we have an incredible life sciences um, uh, industry here in uh, in Hamilton with HHS and St. Joe's. So you got to make sure that what's happening at MIP is is manifesting you know in the rooms and in the wards that you know that we have at HHS and at uh, St. Joe's. Um, uh, agriculture, you know, there's a lot of innovation uh, within agriculture. And, um, and that's exciting stuff. Uh, and uh, one of the ones that I'm, I'm really excited about, and I know that you know, the city can do so much more, is in helping our steel industry, our heavy industry, decarbonize. And you know, the, our whole identity in the city is steel making, right? And it's, it, it's a much smaller proportion of our economy than it ever has been, and it's probably shrinking. Um, but it's still 10,000 jobs directly related to steel making. 40,000 jobs indirectly related to steel making and you know the basis of our entire identity. If we lost steel making as a city, I don't know what we would be, right? Um, and we have that capacity here. We need to support those companies. Um, we want to keep those jobs. We want, to, we want to continue to make things, not just in the city, but in this country. It's a matter of, of national security, in fact. Um, and so, but we've gotten to this point where we also see the, um, the effects of heavy industry in our community. On a really warm day here in Hamilton, you can see the, the they, they don't like calling it pollution, it's emissions. You can see them, you can smell them, you can breathe them, right? We need to be better stewards of our land, of our air, and, our, uh, and of our water. It's 2022, right? But the great thing is that we have the investment from the federal government. We have a commitment from ArcelorMittal to FASCO to, uh, to match that investment. Now we need to secure investment from the provincial government and the municipal government. Um, there's a, a number of ways in which it can facilitate this through permitting and, you know, and other, um, other ways. The other thing is the future of green steel making is hydrogen. And so that's where we can also build a real hydrogen hub here 
in this community. There's probably a whole bunch of other ways in which we can innovate, but you know, I just want to be welcoming to all innovators here in Hamilton, and I think that you know, we can really get there with a, a change in leadership at City Hall um, and a, a change in, um, in, in, in values in, in this community to be open to everybody. Thanks. So I've been informed that we have time for only one question. Okay. Pascal, how are Hi, you? Hi, I'm Pascal. I'm running for Ward 4 City Council, but I've got, uh, I've got a tough question for you, I think it might okay. be. So earlier tonight, you mentioned that racists have no place in City Hall, yet there are candidates running at all levels of this election, trustee candidates and mayoral candidates, City Council candidates, pardon me, that are well-known white supremacists or have been found guilty of committing acts of racism against others. They were spewing white supremacist ideology online, and they, they were found guilty of committing acts of racism towards racialized students. So how do you reconcile your earlier statement when these people have a platform, the ability to earn votes, and could even get into positions of power, and what would you do as mayor if they were elected? Yeah, this is a tough one. I, like, I think for the most part, they have been delegitimized. Um, well, they're not gonna be, they're not gonna win. Um, Paul Fromm is not going to get more than he, he wasn't on the stage with me on Tuesday night um, you know so he has essentially been deplatformed not fully but I, I think it's hard for a municipality to, to because this is also this is a, a provincial jurisdiction so the province is going to say you know under the municipal act um, racists are going to be prevented from participating um, you know I might support such a thing, but uh, will it survive a, a charter challenge? I'm, I'm not quite sure. I think the anti-woke stuff is, is not so much explicitly racist as it is um, uh, a different ideology that is, it's not welcome here at all, but it's, there, I think there's a, some shades of gray there, but I'm not, I'm not comfortable with these, uh, these candidates. I don't know if keeping them out of the democratic process is something that, that we can do. I, I, just, I just don't. I think that they are effectively being deplatformed, and I think that ultimately the verdict is on October 24th when we elect other people and then they go bye-bye, you know, and that's, that's what we need to do. Make sure people, make sure that you're, you know, you, you understand what certain people are saying. Some of the code, uh, uh, you know, the dog whistling, that, that is happening as well. We need to understand what that means as well. Um, and we need to prevent these people from, from getting the platform that they are desiring. So with that, I wish to thank uh, Mr. Loomis for joining us this evening. Uh, as you all know from the program going in, there is mingling at this point. There's a lot of good Hamilton Roma pizza still left, uh, food that needs to be consumed. And I assure you that I think the organizers do not want to be taking any of it home. So um, I want to first, lastly, though, also ask that all of you that are running and helping make this democratic process happen, to please stand for a moment to be acknowledged and thanked for your time and efforts. As I said at the beginning of the process, uh, democracy needs people to be involved. We all know that right now, democracy feels very much like a full contact affair. 
We are in a challenging time of polarization. We're coming out of a pandemic, which has resulted in all of us being more frustrated, uh, more exhausted, and sometimes a little bit short at each other. And so the candidates who have stood up this time, I really, again, want to thank you for that because it has never been easy, and it's not easy right now. So with that, please enjoy mingling. I want to thank Campbellton High for their work organizing tonight and all the sponsors that made this possible. Thank you. Thank you all for tuning in. We couldn't do it without our amazing volunteers, obviously Keenan Loomis and Joey Coleman, and our incredible audience that was so engaged at this event. Most importantly, we want to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to exercise their right to vote and participate in our democracy. If you are unsure of whether you do have the right to vote in this election or not, check out our social media platform at Hamilton Hive. We will have more information there and you can follow us to see some of the top priorities candidates and our mayors have and give you a better insight of who you can vote for during this election. And again, election day is October 24th, 2022. Next week, we will return to our typical format with an exciting new entrepreneur and a snack company you can't come back from. Happy Thanksgiving, Canada, and we'll see you next Monday.